if you truly want your money to make you wealthy, you have to find some winners and you can't be wrong, right? Just find some winners and don't be wrong is, is the key. But great investors do better and better with their portfolio because by consistently tweaking the machine of how I make decisions every time I get new info versus reacting, I'm making a smarter portfolio with every experience that I have, which can potentially be an incredibly powerful way to invest over time. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. All right, everybody, what's going on? Welcome back. Episode 234 here, Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is Clark here with Jace. Jace, what's going on? Oh, man, not a whole lot. What's going on with you? Dude, we were just looking at our stats here. Let me see if I can pull it up. We were looking at our stats on where people are listening from on the podcast. Top cities, New York, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Chicago, D.C. And then number six, we got Minneapolis slash St. Paul. So shout out to all of our Minneapolis and St. Paul listeners. I did not think that was going to be in the top 10. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought so either, man. That's crazy. And we got got a few, quite a few out of Detroit too. Yeah. Minneapolis, San Fran, Philly, Dallas, Seattle. Shout out to those listeners. Milwaukee. Uh, just wanted to re- Milwaukee, you said? Yeah. Top 20 yeah. still. Uh, we, we had a listener too from Portugal. I thought this was kind of fun. He, he says, hey guys, just want to thank you for your podcast. I'm from Portugal and just discovered it. I like your content. Big difference in the US or one of the big differences between Portugal and the US are salaries. Minimum wage here in Portugal is 10000 per year. Average salary is about $17,000. i am a senior developer making 60000 which, as you can imagine, is a huge salary here. I, I'm on my way to becoming a millionaire. Thanks for the great work and inspiration for people outside the U.S. So anyway, I thought that was interesting uh, coming from Portugal and amazing the different lives people live all over the world, right? I think we've highlighted millionaire stories from several different continents. Have we hit most all of them? I think so. I know we've done Asia, Europe, Australia. I can't remember if we did it. We've done South America, I believe, too, but I can't remember if we did one from Africa or not. Definitely had a few African immigrants, I believe, but I don't know that we've had somebody living in Africa. Yeah, we could use some more Europeans, too, right? I don't know. Yeah, we we could. A couple people, mainly military, that are stationed over there. Yeah, military. And yeah, be great. If you're in Europe and want to be on the show, reach out. We'd love love to connect. Or anywhere in the world, really. I mean, we'd love to yeah. get some more, more more diverse groups from from other parts of the world. Be great. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're going to do a couple uh, guest interviews this week. One with Joe uh, Joe from Stacking Benjamins. He recently launched a book called Stacked. Probably some of our listeners listen to his show. So he's doing a book tour right now. So if you're into that show, just go to his Google's. You know, Joe Stacking Benjamin's book tour, stacked Stacking Benjamin's book tour, and I'm I'm going here tomorrow night. I'll have gone by the time we record this, but um, he's always fun to connect with, and so we're gonna we're gonna do a, a guest interview with him, and I think he has some interesting insights. And we actually had him on earlier in the show where he really gave his millionaire story and talked a little bit more about himself personally. So. Go check that episode out. Last week, uh, net worth $2.9 million. She worked for a while, chose to stay at home with the kid, and uh, now manages their family household investments and has obviously been very successful. So thanks again to all of our guests who come on and, and to all of our millionaires. We appreciate it. And without any further delay, let's jump right into this week's guest interview with Joe. 
How's it going, Joe? I'm so happy to be here with you, man. I see you draw this. You drew the short straw, though, and uh, you've got to be the one to talk to me. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm excited. You know, Clark's Clark's uh, Clark's doing his thing, and uh, you know, we're recording this just just after Valentine's Day, and uh, hopefully, he got his wife some flowers. Just got to say that. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like he's super busy, but <laughs> hey, we've got we got some fun stuff going on. We do. So let's get in right into this. So Stacked, you just wrote a new book. It's called Stacked. Buy it anywhere, everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you get your books, right, Joe? But, uh, well, you know what? If you're in the spot where I was, and I know that this isn't your audience, but if you're in the spot where I was at one point early in my career where I was rummaging through this old rusted out minivan to find 85 cents to go walk a mile, I sound like this is such an old guy story, 85 cents to walk a mile to go <laughs> get a uh, plastic gas can, which by the way, the dude didn't want to let me have. The guy did not want me to have, the, he thought I was going to steal the gas can, uh, to put gas in my car. And I had no idea how I was going to get there. If you're in that spot, then go to your library and get it until you read the first few chapters, which gives you the fundamental stuff to get a few Benjamins in place so that you can then do what I've done with mine, which is dog ear the heck out of it. But but the library tends to frown on you dog ear in their book. So get it from, get it from the library at first and then and then go from there. Yeah. So we're going to get into to some of the chapters here a little bit and just discuss this book. But this is a pretty big deal. This is your first book, correct? It is my first book. And I co-wrote it with one of my favorite favorite uh, money writers, a woman named Emily Guy Birkin, who has four other books on store shelves that you've seen. Her big one is The Five Years Before You Retire, and she's got this uh, phenomenal foundational knowledge about uh, how to get there. She talks a lot about stress. And it's funny because, as you know, uh, people get more stressed when they have more money. Don't get me wrong. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, it's tough. But having more money does not reduce stress in your life. And and our goal with this book was really to help people set up a foundation so that no matter where you're at, you're, you're ex- the way you spend money is aligning with your values. In fact, there's this study that I saw recently by this group called Nonfiction. It's called The Secret Financial Lives of Americans. And it talks about how nearly half of Americans, about 150 million people, report that they cry or have cried about their money. They've cried. And you think, okay, those are people living paycheck to paycheck. But people making over $250,000 a year, Jace, nearly half of those people report that they cry about their money. And you know what You know what it is? It's not about having good money or good income or a high net worth. It is about the fact that your money's not going in the same way that your values are. You're spending money on stupid stuff that you don't care about instead of having it in alignment with really what you care about. So our goal was to kind of create a foundation there. And she was the perfect person to to do it with me. But yeah, my first book and I don't know, man, maybe my last book. I, it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a ton of fun, but I like making a podcast, I think, a little more than writing a book. Yeah, no, I can, I can understand that. So the book's broken out. You've got four parts. The first is stacking your first Benjamin, which we all know is super important. The second is building the stack of Benjamin. So once again, extremely important as you kind of start on your financial journey. The third is holding on to the Benjamins without burying them in the backyard, which is becoming more and more important, I think, as people, you know, especially my age and and people I'm associated with, you know, start to earn some money and accumulate some wealth. 
And the the last part is stacking Benjamins on top of your other Benjamins, <laughs> buying some security and comfort. Then we've got this theme, Joe, of the Benjamins, baby. I love huh. it. Imagine that. Well, I'll tell you the. I'll tell you what's even campier than that is the original idea for the book, Chase. Is that I was at this great bookstore in Portland, Oregon. Have I? Did I? When I saw you in Austin, did I tell you the story? I don't, I don't know if you did. I did, yeah, I don't think I did. We we um, I was my wife and I were at this great bookstore called Powell's which is like a block long. I don't know if you've been there, but it's this really quirky, huge bookstore that I feel like as different uh, businesses next to the small bookstore they probably began as went out of business, they just broke down the wall and expanded, made it bigger and bigger and bigger because like the, 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 the rooms don't really line up right. There's these weird steps up and down places. And when you get up to the second and third floor, the floors don't line up. And so it is a, it's a crazy place, but I love being there. Every time I've gone to Portland, I love going there because I get lost in these stacks of books and I get these fantastic ideas. You know, often our best ideas come from things that are unrelated to what we do uh, for a living or whatever, you know, we're inspired by then. So I could be in the architecture spot and get a great idea about diversifying my portfolio, (laughs) whatever it might be. Well, I'm in the kids section, which you know me well enough to know that of course I'd end up there. And I was, I was looking at these books and I saw the Hardy Boys detective manual. And when my brother and I were, when I was in fourth grade, we devoured this thing. I mean, talk about dog-earing your book. My dad would leave for work and uh, we would go look at the tire tracks on a muddy day to see how, you know, to catch the perpetrator by by following his tire tracks. Or my mom would touch a doorknob and we'd go over there with the tape. And I remembered how it was written with the help of a real live FBI agent and it taught you everything about becoming a becoming a detective. And I thought, wow, if there was a book like this that adults carried around that was like money, that would be great. And that was kind of the germ of the idea. Well, then we flew home. I was living in Detroit at the time. And my mom, I'm turning 50. I'm turning 50 at this point. My mom has finally left me all the stuff from the attic, right? That, that like my old little league baseball pictures, like, you know, you can't trust Joe with those until he's 50 years old. But in this box was the Cub Scout Wolf Guide. And I've realized something that you and I talk about all the time, which is completely true. Just gamifying things makes 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 the world go. I mean, turning it into a game gets rid of fear, gets rid of procrastination, makes you want to, you know, quote, go to the next level. We even have it in our vernacular now. And I noticed that the Cub Scout Wolf Guide does that. They instead of uh, chapters, their achievements. They tell you succinctly at the beginning of the chapter what you're going to need. They tell you then what you need to do to get that achievement done. And then at the bottom, there's a few things, boxes you have to check to show proficiency before your mom signs it at the end of of the quote chapter, the achievement, so that you get your badge. Huge gamification. And so we took that and put it in the book. And by by the way, what I just told you was the pitch that we gave to Penguin Random House and other publishers when we took this project on tour. And I remember being on these Zoom calls and the and 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 I'd finish up the pitch with, okay, so what I want to do is take the Hardy Boys Detective Manual and I'd like to combine it with the Cub Scout Wolf Guide, but make it about money and for adults. 
and I was completely sure that, you know, the, the, the zoom call would hang up right then. And <laughs> we get this message from penguin going, Hey, it's not you, it's us. Uh, no way. But everybody was on board. Emily was on board when I when I asked her about it, uh, if she'd want to take part. And Penguin Random House said this is a great way to teach people about money, especially people for the beginning chapters, people that have no idea where to start. It gives you this level-by-level level way to start. And then for people like you and I, the 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 final quarter of the book, maybe even the last third, is really flexing all that that foundational stuff into areas that you haven't heard of before and things that you didn't think about. Yeah, no, it's, it's really a great book. And in fact, I want to get into one of the, the sections here at the end. It's titled How to Get Rich Quicker, which some may say, oh, it's just clickbait. But once again, following this formula, tools you'll need, an internet connection, your investment <laughs> options, a big love, obscure, you know, a love of big, obscure words. <laughs> and you say colossal, <laughs> abstruse, and optional. Anyway, one of the things in here that I, I think is extremely unique, especially coming from your background as a financial advisor, is the case for and against diversification. So, Joe, what, you know, just for, for our listeners, how does one think about diversification and what are you, what point are you really trying to deliver in, in selling? Because typically if you went to a financial advisor, they're probably going to, you know, split you across. Hey, you've got to be so super diversified. And you're saying, hey, there's also another side of this and maybe not being so diversified or being under diversified. Yeah, this is the cool thing about not being not having been a financial planner in 12 years and just doing financial media is I can talk very bluntly about stuff that I frankly didn't used to be able to. And there's a reason why a CFP will not tell you to under diversify. And one reason is the risk. And the second reason, frankly, has nothing to do with you. It's that you're going to fire them because of the fact that it's there's the potential of you taking on some very big losses. You might not even just fire them. You may sue them, right? So a CFP is always going to argue the case of more diversification. Well, realize the more you diversify your portfolio, the more your portfolio becomes this malaise. There's lots of books written about not doing anything other than indexing because the chance of you beating the index is not high. So, so just succumb to the malaise of the indexes and don't even try. Well, what do we know? We know that some of the best companies at historically beating the index over time, companies like Dimensional, uh, which share a, a long legacy of actually having created these indices in the first place, they beat it by strategically under-diversifying. And they do it in a very simple way. They'll start off with like the S&P 500, and it's very simple for them to look with their tools at the S&P 500 and find 10 companies in the S&P that the vast probability is that they are not going to overperform. If you got 500, it could be fairly easy to find 10 that probably won't overperform. And sure enough, a company, if you look at Dimensional, they don't do a lot better than the S&P, but nearly every year they beat the S&P by just getting rid of a few of the losers. So in one way, you can see that. But but if, if, if you're dealing with trying to build true wealth, your goal is going to be – is going to have to maybe be for some people to beat the heck out of the S&P 500. The S&P 500 isn't going to get you wealthy. It's just going to stop you from becoming poor. You're going to beat inflation, but you're not going to do a ton better than that. 
if you truly want your money to make you wealthy, you have to find some winners and you can't be wrong, right? Just find some winners and don't be wrong is, is the key. And, and you'll see people that do this. I mean, how crazy is it when you read about people that are, take all their money and they put it in crypto? I, I recently was at a dinner with a guy and he was telling me about his son-in-law who wasn't working at the time, had just sold his house for half a million dollars, took 100% of it and put it in crypto. And he did it in October of last year. Like anybody that knows crypto at all <laughs> knows that, oh, that is ended incredibly badly. Yep. And, 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 you know, and I don't want to, and this isn't a, this is negative about crypto because you see some of the fortunes. My brother-in-law has held on to crypto for a long time and is still way, way, way up on crypto. He's got tons of money there, but what did he do? He took a portion of his portfolio and strategically under diversified into it, into an area that he believed in. He had a lot of background knowledge, not about get rich quick crypto, but about the efficacy and the usage of crypto. And he's been a true believer for a long time, and he knows the coins that that he really wants to be involved in. And because he's been able to take a small part of his portfolio and, and do that, he's become very very wealthy um, uh, on that on that belief. And I I use Dave Ramsey as a great example of both sides of this equation in the book. Dave Ramsey is a guy that that has one through under diversification and his loss. But let's be clear, Dave Ramsey didn't get wealthy with his money diversifying his portfolio, which is what he tells his fans, right? And again, nothing wrong with being diversified with your portfolio. It's going to make sure that you don't go to the poorhouse if you have your money in the right buckets and well diversified. But to get wealthy, Ramsey initially put his money in uh, under diversified collection of real estate investments. He leveraged those investments. And if you don't know how that story ended, he went bankrupt doing that. And he really struggled because of that. Now he took that, that problem. And now he's got the Phoenix from the flame because he then taught people to not do what he did to live an all cash lifestyle, to use what he calls his baby steps and to get things back together. But he didn't make, he didn't make money, Jace, by following his baby steps. He made money by still only having one company, one company, and he didn't lose. So if you're going to form a company, the goal now is strategic under diversification is to learn the research that you need to do to win or at the very least to, to, to move the odds in your favor. And I'll give you an example of this. Starting a restaurant, like starting a restaurant is a horrible idea. If you look at the number of restaurants in America that don't succeed every year, you'd immediately be chased out. Now, how do you win in the restaurant game? You realize that it's not just about the food. The food in a restaurant is just the, it's like in a poker game, it's the table stakes, right? Having good food is just the, and everybody in a restaurant that's any good has good food. You have to have a location that makes sense. You have to have an ambiance. It always blows me away when I see a new restaurateur and the tables are placed in these weird configurations, the lighting is absolutely horrible. There's either no music, which is the death knell, or the music's so loud that you can't get anything, anything moving. And, and I'll give you an example, by the way, just of music. Danny Meyer, the big restaurateur in, in New York City, 
he has a group of people that work for him when they create a new restaurant that it just works with, uh, w- with, with the noise in the restaurant, with the ambiance of the restaurant. And their, their job is to create this background hum that makes you feel like it's a happening place. They're not dealing with the seats. They're not dealing with the lighting. They're not dealing, they're just dealing with the hum in the restaurant. And so Danny has done very well in restaurants because he understands all the pieces so that he can tilt the odds in his favor. Now that's restaurants. No matter what you go into, you need to be able to tilt the odds in your favor if you're going to strategically under diversify and and decide what smaller piece of your portfolio you're going to use and do it. Because it's not an all or nothing game. If you did it the way Dave Ramsey did it or the dude that put all his money from his house in crypto and lost most of it, you're it's pretty scary. But you can do that on a smaller basis. This episode is sponsored by Ritual. Protein powders can be intimidating, but the fact is we all need protein. It's not just about muscles. Protein helps support bone health and satiety. As we go through life, our protein needs change. Ritual's essential protein is a delicious plant-based protein powder with three distinct formulas designed to meet the body's challenging protein needs. Each of the formulas has 20 grams of pea protein per serving. With Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you know what, how, and why of every labeled ingredient. Great taste. Delicious handcrafted vanilla flavor from a sustainably harvested Madagascar vanilla bean extract. Ready to shake up your protein ritual? Millionaires and Veiled listeners get 10% off during their first three months at ritual.com slash millionaire. Ritual even offers a money back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Visit ritual.com slash millionaire today for 10% off your first three months. Yeah, so I want to read a little section here. Uh, from from this part of the book, you say no bad asset classes. There are always underperformers, but the these change from year to year. If there's a bad fund in your portfolio because the asset class isn't doing well, that's okay. We're far more afraid of a portfolio where every asset is kicking butt. There's a lot of risk when you're at the top of the mountain. I find that yeah, I find that super interesting because we would just experience this a little bit, right? We we saw crypto. That you mentioned at the height of the market, I mean, top, you know, record highs. We saw that in the stock market. We've seen it in the real estate, and in most of cases, most parts of the country, um, you know, real estate's continued to, to to climb up a little bit, but the others have pulled back recently. And so, you know, anybody that was you know riding the highs of you know the ten plus year bull market felt that a little bit that we were all at the top of the mountain, and there was quite a bit of risk in that, right? Yeah. No, that is the time of biggest risk is, you know, in 1999, I was a financial planner and I remember being at a conference and I had to take a, I had to take a taxi. There was once again, another old guy story. I'm telling old guy stories today. There's, <laughs> I had to take a taxi and the taxi drivers tell me all about his internet stocks. Cause as you know, in 1999, the tech wreck began in mid 2000 and went till 2002 and it was brutal. I remember every day for a year and a half, it felt like the market just kept going down and down and down and down and not necessarily a ton every day, but it just, oh man, it took, it took forever. But when your cab driver is telling you about his tech stocks or, or my, you know, a a member of my family, really your, your, your hearing (laughs) needs to be 
correct there. It's not that this is a great opportunity. It's that everybody's in it at that point. Uh, and that's no stank on cab drivers or hardworking people. I'm just saying when everybody's talking about it, it might be time to look a different way. And then also you look at the movie, the big short during the big, the big, uh, crisis back in 2007, 2008, how does that movie open? That movie opens with them talking to these average people in Florida, these investors talking to these average people in Florida about how they're buying up all these houses on these no document mortgages. I mean, it was crazy. You get mortgage after mortgage after mortgage and who cares how much money you're bringing in. And they realized that there was a lot of stupid stuff going on. And when I see NFTs where people are really interested in, there's a ton of hype about buying an eight bit tree or an eight bit horse that has no efficacy, has, has no utility versus by the way, an NFT, which truly shows ownership of a thing. Cause I believe in, in, in blockchain, I believe in the NFT technology, but when somebody's paying three quarters of a million dollars for some pretend thing that I can't get, there's a little bit of a beanie baby thing going on there. So the time when you're high five in yourself, that's when you need to think this is the time of biggest risk. And on the other side, if you're somebody who is uh, is looking at a portfolio asset class and you think this is doing nothing, I think that may be your time of biggest opportunity. You, you really have to watch out, though. I was I, th there's so much recency bias that we have just as humans. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. There was a dude on Twitter the other day that drove me crazy. He said that you should own Microsoft and NVIDIA. He's like, those are stocks for the long term. I don't know if you've gone back, Jason, looked at Microsoft from like 2002 to 2014. It was awful. Like Microsoft was a horrible stock. And for over 12 years, you had to sit in there with this, this junk stock doing nothing, absolutely nothing. And NVIDIA wasn't any better. NVIDIA was a horrible one. And yet with this guy's recency bias, he's like, hey, you buy these companies and you hold them forever. I did. I don't, I don't know that that's, that that's true. So the better way to organize your portfolio is through what we call a, a, an investment policy statement. And what this is, is instead of reacting to the market or having some blanket statement about how I'm going to manage my money, I, I have a formula that I have to reach my goal. I need to have this type of asset, this type of opportunity fund, this type of thing. I diversify based on the criteria that I need to reach my goal. And as I get new information, instead of reacting to that information, which is often a mistake, I go and I tweak my machine based on that information so that I'm not making mistakes. And the cool thing about tweaking your machine as you go versus reacting is number one, most people blow up their plan by these reactive emotional moves. You don't want to do that. But great investors do better and better with their portfolio because by consistently tweaking the machine of how I make decisions every time I get new info versus reacting, I'm making a smarter portfolio with every experience that I have, which can potentially be an incredibly powerful way to invest over time. Totally. So with that said, I, I want to lead in kind of the next thing that, that I want to talk to you about, and that's when... To, and how to go about hiring a, a financial advisor. And you've got a section here that basically says, hey, here's how here's how to find one that's not going to bleed you dry. So, right. <laughs> right. so Joe, how, how does one go about this so that, that they're not caught with their pants down? 
this is how bad this is, Jason. I don't know how you feel about financial advisors, but I once was talking to a financial advisor. He's like, I want to be, I want to be one of those leeches that people don't even realize that they have attached to them. And I thought I was at a financial advisor conference <laughs> oh, and I'm like, if I'm, if I'm going to work every day, just trying to be a leech, like oh, what a scummy commentary that is. And we should be horrified, all of us, by a statement like that. And there are some bad, there's plenty of bad players there. But I feel like, especially since I moved from from being a financial advisor to financial media, a lot of our financial media friends get it wrong. And I think a lot of our community gets it wrong where they're like, yeah, there's a lot of untrustworthy advisors, so I'm not going to have one. And we have this straw man argument. And the straw man argument is this. It's that I'm smart enough to do it this myself. I'm smart enough to do this myself. And my first thought when I hear that is, well, of course you, of course you are. That is not the argument pro or con advisor. It's not about being smart enough. It's about the fact that if, if I truly have a growth mentality and I want to go as fast as I can toward my goals, the real question is this. Who are the who's that I can add to my team? There's a great coach that I have that said, ask who, not how. Don't ask how to do something. Ask who knows this stuff and can they either do it for me or can they teach me how to do that? And there's power, big power in surrounding yourself with the right who's. So the first thing that I think you need to do in this process of finding advisors that won't bleed you dry is if you have advisors that aren't making you smarter, are not making it so that you understand uh, your strategy better and better and better all the time, or what's what, what I need to know and what I don't need to know better all the time. They're helping you get this tunnel vision toward your goals. You need to fire them. So when I see people firing their advisors, I often think that's a phenomenal move. But if, if the advisor uh, wasn't making you a smarter investor, if they were just taking it. And I feel like a lot of people think that's what it means to hire an advisor, Jace. I think that they, I think that you walk into, you know, they think that you walk into an advisor's office, you hand them all your stuff and you're like, okay, you take this for six months, do whatever you can money person. And then I'll be back in six months. And you tell me how we did. You don't want that. And the analogy that I like is Mary Barra at General Motors. And GM is not the world's greatest company. They're not setting the world on fire. But think about all the problems GM's had the last 40, 50 years just trying to stay relevant. And the job that she's done to keep them in the conversation, in my mind, has been nothing short of amazing. Mary doesn't go to work every day with all of her phenomenal VPs around her and go, okay, you guys are running all these pieces of the car. Just, I'm going to disappear. And then I'm going to come back in a few months and you guys tell me how this car stuff's going. No, Mary goes to all the meetings. She knows every piece of the car and she's using these vice presidents that run the different divisions that she has to make her smarter so that she can make even better decisions. And that's what I want for my advisory team. I want somebody who's got the heart of a teacher and I'm going to use them not to abdicate, but to delegate either some of the stuff that I don't want to do. I don't have time to do. They're the little things in my life that, that, Hey, I know how to do this. I just, I just, you've got a team and you do it every day and I'm going to delegate it to you. Or there are people that got your blind spots. I always have coaches around me 
And I'll tell you, a lot of my coaches, my wife does not like, I'm thinking of two specifically that my wife does not like. And the reason she doesn't like them is because these coaches I've hired specifically because they look at the world differently than I do. And that's, that's specific. I don't want somebody who's like, Joe, you're the man. You and I think exactly like we're thinking about it. No, I don't want that. For me, I want kind of a Gordon Ramsay, you know, and for people that don't know Gordon Ramsay, he's the chef. And if you mess something up, you, the, the chef learns during the course of the shows that I've watched that he loves them very much and he wants them to succeed, but he's going to kind of get in their face a little and go, no, this sucks. You're doing horrible. What are you doing that for? I love those people in my life because they make me, they make me smarter. Uh, and, and I'll give you Jace at the risk of pontificating a little bit here on, uh, just a couple of things tactically to look for. If you walk into a financial advisor's office and I've been in a bajillion of them, if you walk into a financial advisor's office and number one, Kramer or Fox business or whatever business news is on, on, on the TV in the uh, waiting area, leave. Your advisor's job is to help you calm down, not to get you all stressed out about what's going on in stock market du jour today. Like if they've got the, they got the travel channel on, that's what I'm looking for. The, these, these kind of aspirational things. Second thing is also don't, don't, uh, 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 go-to advisors whose receptionists stink. That sounds kind of weird, but I'll tell you every advisor that I've gone to where the receptionist is horrible, they either, they either are ill-trained, they are seem bitter, they're not happy to be there, they treat you like crap, whatever it might be. I'll tell you every time that there was a horrible receptionist, that stuff came right from their boss and their boss was horrible as well. And I'll leave you one more, which is this. If an advisor leads with product and not process, you need to fire them. In other words, you walk into an advisor's office and they say, or they're talking to you on the phone or email or whatever it might be. And they're like, hey, I got this thing before they've heard what you want to do. Anybody that's that's out there selling you a product that kind of is a fix-all when they haven't heard what your problem is, you need to run away from. Anybody that's selling you about this is the way to think, this is how to think better. Those are the people I want to run toward. Interesting. It's almost like you just you kind of just gave us a little bit of the smell test, right? For an advisor, which you know, coming from an advisor, you're probably you're probably never going to get that from from the other ones, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. No. It, 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 it. And 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 a great advisor is definitely going to gonna gonna pay their whatever their fee is in gold, which is another thing that frustrates me. You and I see all the time people say the first thing you ask an advisor is how they get paid. Why? I want to know what they do. Like, tell me, tell, tell me what you do first and what's the value proposition. And then let's talk about fees. Any, I, I really, I feel like a lot of the financial media gets it wrong here. Fees are important and it has to be a fee that is, uh, uh, commiserate with what you're getting, but leading off with, so how much do you charge and how do you charge? How do I evaluate that until I know what I get? So fees are important too, but that's, that's down the list. Yeah. Interesting. Well, appreciate you sharing that. So one, one thing I want to wrap up with is. It's just the overall risk mitigation and some of the sections here in the book that, that you get into estate planning and insurances. You know, I think a lot of times as people's financial life evolves, those are kind of topics that 
sometimes we we leave or are left behind or we don't revisit them on an annual basis as maybe we should, especially for, for those people who maybe aren't visiting with a financial advisor on this stuff every year. What what were you thinking as you put these sections in, into the book uh, to, to help the reader you know, evaluate their, their risk profile. This is, this is one of my favorite areas. Um, I was thinking that we want to have a conversation that's different than the conversations that the insurance companies want you to have, or that attorneys want you to have, or anybody that works in this area wants you to have. And an insurance company wants you to think, should I get this insurance or not? I want to think about it this way. What are my risks and what's the best way for me to cover those risks? And the reason I want to broaden that out like that is because of the fact that there's a hell of a lot of ways to risk mitigate that don't involve insurances. It may not involve an attorney. Like I can take care of a lot of stuff using myself. And so uh, I think that there's a huge cost benefit to uh, uh, to widening this the, this whole discussion, and and when it comes to to insurance, as an example, um, uh, uh, you know, if I get an emergency fund, let's talk about emergency fund for a second, because a lot of people that listen to your show. They, they look at this emergency fund, as you know, what we've got the number recently that inflation's at seven and a half percent and my, my savings accounts paying, if I got a high yield, which is a laughable phrase, but a high yield savings account, I might be approaching one now, but it's probably half a percent or less than I'm getting. So I'm getting smoked by inflation with my emergency fund. A lot of people will say, well, I don't want that money sitting there because of the fact it's not earning thing. The ROI in your emergency fund is not there. It's in this whole risk mitigation idea. Cause not only does it protect you, if something happens to your stream of income over the next six months, year, whatever it might be. It also allows you to avoid short-term disability insurance. Think about what you might be paying for short-term disability insurance every year. That's actually the quote interest on this fund. You can raise your deductibles on your homeowners and on your car insurance. That savings is actually the quote, interest on that money that you're not getting from the bank. Uh, there's so many different ways that this pays that have nothing to do with, with, the, uh, 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 with the, the, the simple interest that you get. There's one more big one too, which is that I've seen investors that can be hella aggressive with their investments and they can stick with their investments during ugly times. You know, the market's been pretty bumpy so far this year. If, if it gets if it gets nasty, if you don't have an emergency fund, I generally see people back out too soon, where if they have that reserve of cash sitting there, they're able to withstand that that barrage much easier mentally because they know that worst comes to worst, they have this, this, this reserve that they can pull from. So I look at the heartbeat of all my insurance discussions, all my all my discussions about risk management start with that emergency fund and then move up. It's interesting that we're having this discussion because this is something in my own personal life that I've, I've looked at probably more in depth and more heavily than I ever have in the past. You know, does my umbrella, is that big enough? Is, you know, life insurance, I've had, you know, another, actually when I got my first policy, I only had, no, we were going to plan to start having kids. Now I've got three. And possibly with another, you know, another one potentially down the road. 
and you know your assets grow and you start thinking about all these different things you got going on and you know you hit the nail on the head in terms of like hey what's my exposure and how do i transfer that risk and then what do i have to pay for it right yeah no and and you know what for some busy people and this this shocked me when i was a financial planner there were some super busy entrepreneurs that i work with that said hey the best way for me to handle this is insurance how do i buy more and i kept advocating i i kept advocating for less and this is also when i realized that different people need different things to sleep better at night and why this is such an individual issue and it's hard to have a blanket statement i i can think of at least 3 clients telling me no 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 how do i buy more no i don't know i would much rather just pay for more insurance like i i remember this one guy bernie telling me he's like joe i waste money on so many different things this this peace of mind makes me feel so good. And I'm like, yeah, we could do this in five other ways. And he's like, no, I think it's just easiest. Like, you know what I mean? Freedom from freedom from, uh, uh, of, of, of time and brain, brain, uh, usage. Like, I don't want to think about this. I'm this, this, uh, this mastermind group I'm in, there was a guy last week who said that he's really focusing on removing all the $25 decisions from his life. Like if it's $25 or less, how do I make sure I'm not even involved? Like if I'm not in that decision, that would be fantastic. And you look at it, sometimes these insurance decisions are are there. If you're somebody who's a busy professional going a thousand miles an hour, well then maybe it maybe it makes sense to just delegate it to an insurance company. Generally, not the cheapest way you're going to do it, but how much money could you use when you're focused on the brain power of these small decisions? Yeah, totally. Well, Joe, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing. Once again, that's stacked. You can get that book anywhere. If you got to go to the library, like Joe said, make sure you don't fold the pages. You don't want to get the librarian <laughs> mad at you. No. And, and you can check out Joe's podcast, Stacking Benjamins, uh, on all the major networks, right? Well, actually, no, you're on Westwood One now, right? I'm on, we are part of Westwood One, but wherever you're listening to us right now, and I'll tell you a lot of times, Jace, people that listen to podcasts prefer the audiobook, and the audiobook's fun because at the end of every chapter, we have uh, a transcript of an interview from the show of a different person who is an expert in that area. We talked to Phil Town about under diversification. We talked to, 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 uh, 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 Gene Chatsky from the Today Show at one point, Farnoosh Tarabi from from so money we talked to Laura Adams uh, the money girl about um, about uh, debt we talked to Tori uh, excuse me Maury Teheraper about negotiating uh, she negotiates on behalf of the NFL Players Association and others she teaches negotiation at Wharton so we have these experts throughout but on the audiobook you actually hear the actual interview as well versus a transcript so if you listen to if you're listening, if you prefer to listen, uh, I might go after the audiobook. Did Did you record it yourself too? I did, and it was. Oh it man, was, that's awesome! But it was so intimidating. Uh, you get used to this director, and you're going, "Say that again," and change the emphasis to this word. Okay, say that again, and change the emphasis oh, to. Geez. And uh, and then at the end of the day, your throat starts drying out. But Emily 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 introduces the chapters and finishes the chapters. And we have these asides, these kind of snarky spots where my mom, 
uh, is in the book, you know, cause our show is live from my mom's basement and mom always has an opinion about everything. So, uh, but the woman who actually plays my mom on my show, Julie Ray Harrison actually plays the part of my mom. You'll hear her voice in the, in the audio book as well, which was really fun calling up Julie Ray and saying, Hey, will you play the part of my mom again? was was pretty awesome oh man that's awesome well i'm super happy for you it's such a great book once again that's stacked joe saw see high stacking benjamin's podcast and get that anywhere thanks for coming on the show today dude thanks for having me on again i, I just i could hang out with you guys all day thanks for listening to the millionaires unveiled podcast with clark sheffield and chase mantinson For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.